You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. As we look at these precepts from God's Word, I want you to understand that um, this is a process for all of us, and communication is essential. No matter whether you're talking about a family or work or church or just life, you must be able to learn to communicate and communicate well. So as we consider these precepts, it's fundamental to life. So as we look at this, I want to open with prayer, and then I want to look at this text, and then you might want to look up James chapter 3, and we're going to go there as well. Let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for the privilege of just having the freedom in our country still, to be able to gather together in your name collectively to worship you and to praise you and to be able to hear your word and to study your word. And Lord, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us understanding and also for the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ. So we just ask this morning that you would guide us into these truths, that we'd have a deeper understanding, not just for academic understanding, but for life, to bring you glory, to enhance our relationship with the brethren, to draw close to one another in our marriages, in our families, and in all our relationships, that we would reflect the love of Christ. We just praise you and thank you and ask you to guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's real interesting uh, as we go through these principles, uh, anyone that studies and uh, starts examining a text, it's also God seems to work that in your life or bring an opportunity for you to learn these principles and also help with your uh, attitude. Last Sunday... Immediately following class, I wasn't feeling too well, so uh, we had somebody offer to give Marsha a ride home, and so I went down to get the car. I was getting ready to go, and there's a little thing called uh, alarm system, and uh, Marsha has one in her keys, but I don't have one in mine. And normally we don't use the alarm system, but last Sunday, lo and behold, Marsha was in a hurry. She was trying to get a lot of things, and um, she hit inadvertently hit the switch for the lockout on the car. So as soon as I turned it on, of course, it was just beginning to be worshipped. So if you did remember hearing a horn honking and going through all kinds of commotion, that was yours truly. Um, I didn't communicate very well that morning, 
And so I got in the car and tried to start it. And of course, it kills everything, uh, kills the ignition, continues to honk for at least 60 seconds. And I thought, okay, I got an idea. So I'm going to go around the other side and use the key and just open the car from the other locks that released everything, set everything off again. So start going. And then people were coming in late and I was trying to remain somewhat <laughs> in the proper attitude. And I began to lose it a little bit. And um, lo and behold, uh, a gentleman came up behind me. He said, you doing all right, Jess? And I said, oh, I'm doing fine. Um, he said, well, is that your alarm? <laughs> I said, yes, it is. And he said, well, can you turn it off? And I said, not right now. <laughs> I said, my wife is gone. She's trying to print some copies for the meeting today. And he said, oh, you think you'll be all right? And I said, oh, I'll be fine. Well, that's the second attempt that I made to try to start the car. And it started the whole thing all over again. And he just kind of folded his arms and watched me as I changed different shades of color and <laughs> politely called my wife and asked her if she would come over and help me unlock the car, which she immediately did. So all I'm saying in that little story is it takes just an instant for us to go from a nice spiritual attitude to a not so spiritual attitude to get in the flesh. And unfortunately, this happens daily in our relationships, whether it be at work or whether it be in a family relationship. And sometimes, sadly, it happens within the body of Christ to the point where it absolutely separates people until they come to a understanding of how to resolve and, and work through a resolution. Paul uh, understood this, and when he addressed the Ephesians, he wanted them to not only understand what their position in Christ was, but, uh, excuse me, could, uh, could you close that door, please? Thank you, Dante. He gave us the first three chapters of this great book to explain our position in Christ and just what God had done through Christ and the grace that he poured out unto us and how we were sealed with the Holy Spirit and how we're richly blessed with all blessings in heavenly places. But as we work forward in this little book of Ephesians, he also wanted to enhance our understanding of what that reflected in the life. When we get over to chapter 4, he uses some uh, analogies of putting off and putting on, putting off the old and putting on the new. And as we get down to verse 25 and through the remainder of chapter 4, he helps us to understand not only what this manifests in, but how it should look. And so we're going to look at that right now. And if you would, let's uh, begin with verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, 
For, he, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Then we get to this last couple of verses, and Paul does this. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Well, that's a very explicit text. As we look at it, what Paul is telling us here is that our life now uh, is changed. We're new creations. And he's telling us that we put off all those that were the natural vices of the flesh and put on the virtues of walking in Christ. So this is how it's going to reflect. And as we look at this portion in verses um, 29 and 30, we want to understand what Paul's telling us here and, and how that plays out in in our relationships. Paul has been instructing them to put off the old man and put on the new. And as we learn over in Corinthians, our inner man is being renewed daily. We're not the same person we were yesterday. We're not the same person we were last week. When we think of being transformed, it not only reflects in our lives and how we think, but it's also going to reflect in our speech. So when we think about this transforming and putting on, the virtues should reflect in our speech. There was uh, a man who was going to a conference. Uh, he was a pastor, traveling pastor, I guess, and did various conf- conferences. And he had his own pilot's license. And uh, he took it in to have some work done, and he was going to be flying to this next conference. And as he was there in the hangar, the mechanic was working on the plane, and he was making some final adjustments, and something happened. He slipped with a wrench and hit his hand, and he kind of cut loose with some language. And then he stopped and he went over to this man. He said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you, Pastor. And he goes, didn't offend me at all. He said, it didn't? He says, no. He said, actually, you just uh, proved out scripture. And the man kind of looked at him and goes, what do you mean I proved out scripture? And he said, well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the guy just kind of looked at him. But the principle is true. Whatever's in our heart is going to reflect in what we say. So if we are in 
a place of we're meditating on the word or we're reflecting on the word regularly, what we say will be reflected in how we speak. In Luke 6.45, it says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Hold your place here for a moment, and let's turn back to James 3. This is a, James is a wonderful book, and I know many of you have studied that, and some of you were here five or six years ago, or maybe it's a little more now, when I went through the book of James. We did an exposition in Sunday school. James, uh, a very practical teacher, was addressing something that is essential to all the relationships. He was dealing with a, with the church that was being persecuted and scattered. There was all kinds of upheaval, and many of these Christians were going through persecution. But as we get over to chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, he says this, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body indeed. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are large and are driven by a fierce wind, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a force fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set on our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it sets on fire by hell. Well, that's a pretty powerful statement. I mean, it's, it's full of tremendous amount of doctrine, just what James capsulates here. What he's talking about is the tongue, our speech, is one of the most difficult things to try to control. And if we can control our speech... What James says is we can control our whole body. We can control anything. So as you think of that, think about the times that you may have been in a conflict and things that you've said that you wish you could go back and just take those words away. You wish that you could just erase it, that it was a blackboard, and you could just go up, grab the eraser, and just... Wipe it off the face. But you can't. And James is trying to tell us here that we have to be understanding and mindful that if a man can control his speech, he has full control. Your speech is going to be a reflection of what's in your heart. David understood this, and he said this in Psalm 
141, verse 3. Set a guard over my heart. Keep my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips and guard them from every unwholesome word. He understood the only way he could control his speech was by allowing God to control him. Needless to say that uh, it's a sad thing when we do something or say something that reflects in a hurtful way. Proverbs says this, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Maybe this past week or so, you may have heard the news, uh, national news, and they gave a story of this young teenage girl. I think she was from Ireland, and she was a freshman. And uh, her sin was this. She dated a senior football player who was very popular. I say her sin because... The upper class girls hated her for that. They were jealous of this young teenager freshman. So because of their jealousy, what they did is they started passing around rumors. Well, today rumors don't just go from word of mouth. You have Facebook, you have Twitter or Twitter, you've got uh, posts you can put online. You can blog, and that's exactly what they did with this young girl. They were ruthless. They were unkind. They had all kinds of uh, disparaging remarks about this young girl. And sadly, this young girl took that to her heart. She became depressed, despondent, went home, went inside her room, and hung herself. Took her life. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Youth, I'm sure you see the conflicts at school and you hear the rumors and it perhaps starts out real simple. Maybe there's somebody going back a few years. We used to call them nerds when I was in high school. That's the ones that were very smart or eggheads. But very disparaging remark, but some of those people now that I used to use that terminology are quite wealthy and successful people. And um, But they were distinct in some way, and all of a sudden people made mockery out of that. And, you know, if you wanted to, I didn't run with a crowd, but you always heard what was going on in the hallways or in the school or in the gym, if there was always somebody that was being picked on, and how did they do it? Sometimes they'd get into a little bit altercation, but most of the time it was with words. They had to destroy that person's reputation so they would slander that individual. They would pass on false rumors. And some of the people that um, I just recently received a newsletter from my former graduating class from high school. 
And it was really interesting. I looked at some of the biographies of the autobiographies of some of the uh, students. And I was fascinated because I hadn't seen them for years. And I looked at some of the individuals that I knew were mocked all the way through high school. They were very successful, and uh, I don't know anything about where they are spiritually, but some of them were prominent. There was one fellow there that was uh, assistant coach for the 49ers. I didn't tell Jim this yet, but I'm going to show him the article. And he was able to lead them in a couple of Super Bowls. He was one of their head coach or assistant coach for six years. And another one was uh, nominated for the best, uh, I think it was college coach, national coach one year. And so he was in the Hall of Fame. And there was a doctor and there was uh, a couple of other professionals and then you know, some of the people like myself who were in the trades. But it was fascinating to me to see the course of their lives. And I reflected on how some of those were treated in high school, how some of those treated me, some of those people, how I was to others. And I realized how much damage there was by words when you're formulating values as you grow up and people are telling you one thing and you start believing a lie, it started where? It started right in the garden. That's exactly how Satan tempted Eve. Tempted her with a lie. Surely God will not take your life. That fruit is good to eat. You'll be wise and you'll have all understanding. The lies and the tactics of Satan have never changed. So as we look at this and we consider the power of the tongue, think about those that you have communication with daily and how can you build them up. And that's what we want to consider. So let's go back to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> One of the things that um, Paul says, beginning with verse 29, is let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. The word corrupt there is uh, an interesting word. Uh, in some translations, it uses unwholesome. And uh, basically what it means is just refers to something that's foul or rotten. And it was used in the text of talking about fruits or vegetables, something that has rotted and unable to use any longer, and it became foul. That's the word that Paul is using here. So he says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word <clears throat> that is good and necessary for edification. Think about uh, times when you may have been able to help somebody or come alongside and the word tells us to encourage one another, encourage the faint-hearted. And I like this one. Uh, like apples of gild and settings of silver, 
So a word spoken, spoken in the right circumstances, Proverbs 15, 23. Think about the times that somebody's been sensitive enough to just give you an encouraging word. Maybe through a card, phone call, or just an encouraging word when you're going through a struggle. That's what Paul is talking about here. Only such a word that's good for the edification of the hearer. And the timing of that. We talked about last week, uh, timing, about how we would try to help resolve a conflict and not to try to do so in the heat of the battle. Timing is important. But you know what the essential is? Is first of all, for the Christian, it's that of being able to walk by the Spirit. See, we can look at all these principles and we can even learn uh, specific verses that pertain to speech, communication. By the way, I really encourage you to look through Proverbs, 31 chapters, and just pick out the various texts that address speech. It's replete with verses. Excellent verses, just pithy verses that go right to the point about speech, communication. So as we think about this, and Paul's telling us to speak only such a word that's good for the edification and hearer or for the moment. Timing is essential. But going back a little bit further in chapter 4, He talked about putting off lying and putting on truth. We must be truthful. That's one of the essence of good communication, being truthful. So let's consider a husband and wife, for instance. If we're talking about, a, say, a conflict, and say the husband has been harsh with his wife, and let's just say the wife cowed or pulled away from that. And so as a consequence of that, she's reluctant to say anything. She feels vulnerable, doesn't want to say or respond. Think of how he could minister to his wife if he was kind, tender-hearted, full of mercy and goodness. The attitude in which we approach somebody means everything. If somebody's kind and tender-hearted, full of mercy, those concepts are just what a person really needs for understanding how to communicate. When we think of kindness and tenderness, if a husband's able to build up his wife and to encourage her, that's going to give opportunity for her to be able to express herself openly and honesty without fear of being reproved or yelled at or quenched. It makes it all the difference in the world. How do we approach it? It's something where in the same way for the wife to be gentle to her husband so that he feels the freedom to be able to express himself. It's a mutual 
uh, ability to have harmony within the relationship, whether it be husband and wife, friends at school, somebody at church, to be able to hear them. Are we listeners? Being a good listener is crucial to good communication. You know, James talks about being slow to speak, quick to hear, or slow, uh, slow to speak, slow to anger, or quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I'm sorry, I got it twisted a little bit there. Um, as we think about that, to be able to be a good listener, people have to care about the individual. Most of the time, we're only interested And a lot of times we're not really listening when somebody's talking to us. Somebody could be communicating to us. We're just sitting there nodding our head. We're thinking about either what we're going to say back to them or how we're going to defend ourselves or something that we have to do later on. But we're not giving attention to the individual. That's crucial. Are we thinking of others as more important than ourselves? Are we putting ourselves first? That's going to make all the distinction when we think about edifying the other person. When we think about not allowing any corrupt speech, but speaking only those things which are good for the hearer, for their edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. It requires us to be able to listen. It requires us to be able to have an understanding that there's something they're trying to communicate. What if somebody tells you, um, well, I'll put it this way. If you were uh, upset at somebody, well, let's say another student at school, and you wanted to maybe get that right, but the individual was upset because they were hurt by something you said, so there was dialogue back and forth. Next thing you know, both parties are offended. So how do we approach that? Walk up to them say, hey, well, I need to, sorry about that. No, as a Christian, we take things first to the Lord. First of all, we have to be able to what? To forgive, verse 32, being kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgive, uh, <clears throat> tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So first of all, we have the attitude that we're going to forgive them. They may have said something that was hurtful, which began the whole process of the breakdown and the relationship. So first of all, we need to be able to forgive them. Second, we reach out to humble ourselves and try to make peace with all people as much as we're able. Be at peace with all people as much as we're able. Romans 12. So as we consider the process, you may want to make some clarification. How many times have you had a misunderstanding with somebody where somebody didn't understand what you had said? 
Ever had that happen? Or they didn't understand what you said. Misunderstanding. Today they use the word misspoke. I would hesitate to use that terminology. We have to understand what people are saying. So if it comes to the point to make clarification, make clarification. Ask the individual. Am I hearing you right here? Did you, you know, even to the point repeating back what they said. Making sure that you care enough about that individual to know clearly what is being communicated. That's open and honest and biblical communication. In the first portion of the book of Ephesians, you don't have to turn there, but Paul says this, how can we do that which is displeasing to one whom we have been sealed for the day of redemption? When Paul is talking about we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, as we think of our obedience to God, how could we want purposely to disobey him? It should reflect in everything we do, in our communication, our relationships. And if we say, put off all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, what do those words mean? Bitterness, uh, in the original, is talking about a smoldering resentment, a grudge. Thinking about something and just letting that burn with inside of you. And yet that's the antithesis of love. Love, what? Doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Not easily offended. You see, we have so much in relationships where it's always conditional. You're nice to me. I'll be nice to you. You're not nice to me. I don't want to be nice to you. If that's the relationship, that's the world's way. It's conditional. Agape love is unconditional. It isn't thinking about ourselves as more important than the other individual. We're thinking about the other. Putting away wrath, that's thumos. Has to do with rage. Um, Today, you can drive down the road and inadvertently make a wrong turn or slow down, or if you're confused about a turnoff, somebody gets mad because they've had to slow down a little bit. You could have road rage, and the next thing you know, there's somebody pulling out a weapon and trying to take somebody out. That's an extreme, but it happens. Marsh and I, when we were down visiting, uh, not this time, but prior when we were down visiting my brother before he passed away, we were coming back from his house on a Los Angeles freeway, and I pulled on the on-ramp and was coming out on the freeway, and there was a man in front of me, an older man and an older woman, and they tried to pull out, and he, it's really hard, I mean, because you get out there and they're going 75, 80 miles an hour, and you're trying to pull in and keep up with the speed. Well, this man wasn't able to do that, and he was trying to pull out, and I was behind him, so I slowed down. 
and this uh, car with a group of gangbangers in it pulled around me, pulled up in front of me, and then tried to pull the guy off the road. Just because it somehow bothered them that the people weren't going fast enough. And it instantly turns into a situation where it's volatile. That's thumos, that type of wrath. Put away anger. Orgy. Uh, that's talking about a slow, subtle, deep anger that's slowly coming forth. Person holding it inside, I guess some of the people term that as uh, passive aggressive. Don't say much, but it's seething under the surface. Clamor. Says put away all clamor. Uh, that's an outcry of strife, and it reflects like a outburst, a public outburst. Uh, some of us have been in circumstances where there's a group or something, and some all of a sudden somebody gets upset, stands up, begins to shout. That's clamor. Slander. Uh, it comes from the word blasphemia, and it's a form that we get the word blasphemy. It's an ongoing defamation of somebody else that comes from a bitter heart. So it would be that of slandering somebody would be to try to tear down their character, disparage them publicly, passing on rumors about them. You, uh, the youth, and I think about this because you probably see this daily as adults we see it, but it's more subtle sometimes. But when people start speaking slanderously about somebody else, how should a Christian respond to that? How does one respond to a slanderous statement about another person. That is, saying something very detrimental to their character. And what would be the Christian's response to that? Try to one up them and make it work. Okay, Thomas. <laughs> I will see you after class. Okay, identify it and identify it for what it is. Let me just say this from a biblical perspective. If we're not part of the problem or part of the solution, then we have no reason to discuss that with somebody else. If we are a part of that solution, we certainly don't engage in slanderous remarks about the individual and certainly not in the form of a prayer request. Now, I say that because, not because of anything I've heard ever within this body, but I have been in circles during various times of my life where people would say, well, we need to pray for so-and-so because, and then they just give you a whole litany of what they're doing. And if we think about this, 
we can cut that right at the quick. We don't receive that kind of a report. If somebody came to me one time, this was in another, uh, actually down in Kootenai County, and made a just a, almost a horrible, slanderous, almost blasphemous remark. Well, I wouldn't use the term blasphemous, but a very slanderous remark about a pastor. And I stopped him. He started to go into this, and I said, I didn't want to hear another word. And I said, if you have that kind of words to say about this man, I said, I want you to hold on because I'm going to call him up right now and we'll set up a meeting. The guy's eyes got about this big, you know, and he said, well, I don't really want to talk to him. I said, you have to talk to him because you brought a slanderous, you were trying to bring a slanderous statement about another Christian and especially a pastor. But eventually I did arrange and because then I became a part of it, even though I didn't hear everything. So I did call the pastor and we got some resolve. But the point I'm trying to make here is that you do not want to receive any kind of a slander statement about somebody else. It's going to possibly taint your thinking about the individual and it's going to harm the other individual. So biblically, if we can be a part of the process of helping in that whatever that circumstance is, then don't let any unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth. But only such a word that will be good for the edification of the hearer and impart grace to those. Consider in the framework of Scripture when we're communicating, that would help immensely in church relationships, in work relationships. A lot of us here have been in the trades. Um, in the trades, you know, all it takes is one disparaging remark about one's character or one's workmanship in a negative way in a small community, and it goes around like wildfire. It could hinder that man's ability to get work. And it may just be the derivative of jealousy. So we have to be careful with our words. We want to consider how to build somebody up. We want to consider not taking in a bad report about somebody. And we want to consider how we can help in a reconciliation process. Lenny. That's what the, the difference between talking about It's the same. It's the same. How can you communicate with your feelings or your differences or what? Okay, that's a good question because, you know, unfortunately we hear a lot of Christians murmuring and complaining about the politicians and the political things. Uh, Sorry, we... We've gotten involved in those kind of conversations. But I'll just I'll catch you with that. How we should respond is we may hate what an individual is doing, and we may be able to state that. You know, this or whatever this this say a legislation. This is something that I believe is wrong. It will be hurtful to people. It will be hurtful to our nation. It's unbiblical, and 
any way that I can, I will stand against that. But to go directly from there to the actual individual and start slandering that individual, that's sin. That's it. We may, you know, hate what an individual is doing, and we should. We should hate anything that's unrighteous, but we don't hate the individual. And if we're imparting slander about that individual, then we're in sin. we got to make our hearts right. Jenny. I was just going to say, for both topics and then, And that if you, you know, with our politicians, that's our way of, um, you know, we have our vote to, <clears throat> exactly. to, to communicate that to others, but also with our Christian organizations. We do have a problem with some studies of the Bible addressing how to take care of that too. You know, it's not that going to a party, but again, it's Exactly. Spread it around. Exactly. What Jenny is just reiterating here is that when there's something that we, whether it be a politician or another individual, someone's doing something, we go to that individual. It's basically a what? Matthew 18 process. If somebody is in sin, go to such a one. Or... If you know there's somebody offended, you go to that individual and first be reconciled. So either way, whether we know that individual's in sin or we know that person's offended us, we go to them and first be reconciled. So we don't want to propagate or bring about slanderous remarks. That's what the world does. As Christians, we shouldn't be doing that. I've been guilty of it, and I'll tell you, it's it's painful to think about when you do something like that, it just comes out, saying a bad remark about a political situation, and basically, you're, you're in sin. So there's no way to sidestep it and try to cover it up and say, well, you know, we're, we're just joking around. No, we can't address it as a joke or try to excuse it as a joke. It's real. And when we disparage somebody's name, you're taking an individual, whether that person has made sinful decisions, you address the sin. And then if you're able to address the individual, address them personally. So we have to be careful. Our words mean something. We take that casual, but we can't. We have to recognize what God has said in his word and obey it. It's simple. But yet, as James says, that's the hardest thing to control. It happens just like that. Slip, remark, or even engaging in, a, you know, somebody makes a, an innuendo, an uh, off-color joke, and you laugh at it. That's just feeding that type of conversation. So we don't want to engage in that. If we're Christians, then we should live like Christians. And when we don't, 
we need to make things right with our Lord and not make it a game. We don't just come here on Sunday and say, you know, shake hands with everybody, smile, sing, and listen to the message, go home, get outside, and, you know, just live like you're in the world. We are new creations. God's called us to live that way. We're to put off the old and to put on the new. So as we summarize some of these principles, uh, when we think of kindness, that characterizes what Christ is. Christ lived. He was the epitome of all the essential virtues of Christianity. These virtues which we look at, kindness, tenderheartedness, being able to forgive one another, All those aspects of virtue emanate from walking by the Spirit. It all comes back to that. And I'm not trying to oversimplify it. I'm trying to keep us in our focus to understand this is not some legalistic thing where we have a list of ten things, we do this, this, and this. We're talking about being submitted to God's Word moment by moment. And when we, when we don't, we mess up, we make it right. Keep short accounts. And we're not going to be able to respond appropriately in our hearts unless our hearts are being transformed by God's word. So we don't just start reflecting these characteristics and walking by the Spirit by just... Um, casual means, it's yielding ourselves moment by moment to our Lord and Savior. I know that many of us have been in situations where we want to make a situation right and we haven't been able to do so. Let's go over some of the things just to consider to um, bring these principles into perspective. Good communication is always two-way. It involves both sending a message out and receiving a message. Being able to clearly communicate with another individual is to be able to tell truth clearly so it's understood and to be able to hear and understand what the individual is saying. Being a good listener. The other thing we considered uh, versus uh, Proverbs 18.13, when you answer... Another before hearing, it's considered folly and shame to you. In other words, don't interrupt somebody. Let them finish. Don't respond to somebody without understanding what you're responding to. The Bible calls that foolishness. It's sensitivity to the other individual. I always appreciate it when somebody does want to clarify something with me because that shows me that they're really interested 
and want to know what I was trying to communicate to them. That's the way we should do it. So being a good listener is essential to good communication. As we try to focus on the overall aspect of reconciliation, we have to realize that the essential process is always that of honoring God with our relationships. It's always that of being able to forgive somebody, being able to humble yourself if you've said or done something to another individual to be able to ask their forgiveness. And by the way, that isn't always received by people. I mean, we can do our part, and that's all we can do. But there are times if a person's bitter or their hearts are hardened, they not may not respond to us. So what would be our response to that? Say, oh, well, sorry about that. Absolutely. You have to be able to do that. Ron just said, forgive them for their unforgiveness. If we're not able to forgive them and pray for them and intercede on their behalf, how are they going to get out of the snare? If your brother's in a snare, you who are spiritual, go to such a one in gentleness and meekness. So we have to recognize that our our place is to always be thinking of the other individual. How can we intercede for that person? We show that love, and at one point, maybe that door will be open for reconciliation. But our hearts have to be right. That's what we have to, that's what we're accountable for. It's what we do with God's word that makes the difference. <clears throat> yes, Steve. Yeah, I'll, uh, Steve, <clears throat> Steve brought, brings out a good point. Uh, in one of the texts in the Gospel of Luke, uh, it talks about, and if your brother sins against you and he repents, forgive him. And there was a condition in that text of that individual repenting. Then we go to Matthew, Matthew 18, and when Peter addresses our Lord and says, well, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven, because three times was the standard for the Pharisees. He doubled it and adds one. Christ said, no, 70 times seven. And then he gives the parable about the rich man who forgave everything, that the great debt that a man owed and then released him from prison. And that man went out and immediately grabs a man that owed him 30 denarii or some small amount, maybe 30 days wages, and demanded payment. And the man said, I can't pay you. So he put him in bondage. Of course, it gets back to the rich ruler. The ruler took him back, and he said, unless you forgive, your heavenly Father is not going to forgive you. So the principle here, and I want to be careful here because I don't want to make it, and I've heard some of those suggestions like you mentioned, Steve, you know, you write a letter and burn it and forget all that stuff. Uh, Biblically, 
the process, as I understand it to be from Scripture, is that a person, if he repents, he is going to make himself right with God. Relationship, horizontal relationship, one person to another, that person may offend and sin repetitively with us and never repent. So if we if we use just the condition of them showing repentance before we forgive, then we could fall short of the grace of God and a seed of bitterness in us well up and by that many become defiled. We have to be able to forgive. Hate what they're doing. We have to be able to identify. Hate of sin is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord. A lot of people say forgive and forget, but I think it's more important to forgive and remember so that you don't end up in that thing again. Yeah. Uh, For us, you know, to say, well, we'll, we're going to forgive and forget, um, I don't know if we have the human capacity to do so. I've had situations, perhaps we all have, where you've been deeply pained by some individual or circumstance, and you may be able to forgive that. And yet when you, something reoccurs, you, you know, you have to choose to put that out. Just as Christ chooses to remember our sins no more, God is omniscient. He doesn't forget anything, but he chooses not to remember when we repent and confess. So for us, the relationship is that of forgiveness, but yet we can hate that sin. But the individual, if we translate that to the individual and we're full of unforgiveness, then I believe that we're remiss of all the texts that speak about forgiveness. So it's forgiving from our heart to the individual, praying that they will be able to repent. If a person is in deep sin, repetitive sin, they're going to go deeper into sin until they do repent. So the only way that they can come to a place of right relationship with God and other individuals is through repentance. So our place would be to pray for them. Intercede on their behalf. I don't know if that helps me. Peggy. Okay. <clears throat> That's an excellent. Uh, Peggy gave a good illustration. We're, we're running out of time here, so we'll have to pick that up next week. But I will address this. Peggy's uh, brought the question up. If somebody has offended us and, they, and we reconcile with that individual and they've deeply hurt us, we forgave them but yet the relationship has been altered. That trust has been violated. So how do we deal with that? We'll address that next week. Good questions, good input. Uh, if you have any other questions, please let's uh, bring them up next week and we'll continue. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness in all things. And Lord, we just ask now that you guide us not only to be able to apply these truths, but empower us, Lord, to do so uh, daily as we look to you for your grace. We just praise you now and ask that you guide us and be glorified as we worship together through song and praise and also through the hearing of the proclamation of your word. We just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. 
If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting kootenaichurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.